for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Sean Estes, former San Francisco Giants left-handed starter and analyst for NBC Sports Net Bay Area, about Game 1 of the Division Series tonight. Walker Bueller for the Dodgers, Logan Webb for your San Francisco Giants. These two pitchers and these two teams have seen each other a bunch of times this year. The Giants going 10-9 and against the Dodgers in the regular season. These two teams have never before met in the playoffs. Now, they have met postseason, and what I mean by that is they've played each other after the end of the scheduled regular season, both in 1951 and in 1962, in a three-game playoff, which technically goes on the ledger for the regular season. Here's the note. The Giants won both of those three-game series, went on to the World Series, and actually both times went on to lose the World Series to the New York Yankees. However, this year feels different. 106 wins against 107 wins. It's the Giants and the Dodgers for the first time in the division series, for the first time in playoff history, all things we can talk about with former Giants lefty Sean Estes, who joins me next. Today is Friday, October 8th. It is a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Sean Estes, former San Francisco Giant. Of course, you see him on NBC Sportsnet Bay Area uh, before and after Giants games. And Sean, you're doing some pre and post for this weekend, Giants and the Dodgers, unlike we've ever seen before. How's it going, man? Uh, It's going great. I can't wait for this next week. It's going to be a lot of drama. It's going to be fun, man. It's two of the best teams, two of the two best teams in the major leagues. There'll be probably a lot of drama, a lot of energy in uh, both ballparks for the series. Does it get anxious at all for the players, you think? And I know there's days in between, and the Giants have been kind of sitting around and waiting to find out who they're going to play. I think a lot of people assumed it would be the Dodgers. I know for fans, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiousness building up. You're excited, you're hyped, but you're also real nervous about it. What's the player vibe going into a series where you just found out who your opponent is like this? Well, I mean, you prepare the same way. Obviously, it depends on who you're playing, is you know, who you prepare for, but when you have four days between the end of the season and when the first game of, of the uh, playoffs start, really it's all about, you know, healing up mentally, healing up physically and gearing up mentally for, you know, what's at stake. So I think what the Giants organization and, and from the top down pride themselves on is, is being prepared in these situations. So I'm sure they went through every possible scenario they could prior to the series coming up, how to best prepare the guys in these four days, because it's unlike no other, other than the all-star break where you do have this much time off and you can get a little rusty, not just mentally, but physically where, you know, you come out maybe a little bit flat. So I think really the coaches, you know, to a man, I think that's probably their main objective is to keep everything running on all cylinders, keep the guys fresh, try to create as many competitive type of scenarios as possible over the last four days and then be ready to go hit the ground running against the Dodgers. I don't expect there to be any letdown as far as the players go because the adrenaline will take care of that (laughs) as soon as your name is called. And because there's only one other time that you get to be announced and, and go take third base or first base line. And that's on opening day. So the magnitude of that, Kind of like the same adrenaline that you're going to get for the playoffs is the excitement of just the opening day, starting the season, and then obviously the playoffs where that's the goal, opening day, right? Then you get there and then you get your name announced and you get to stand along that third baseline and take in the national anthem. So I know that the players are really, really excited about this, but as far as being ready, I don't expect the Giants to really have any issues with being ready for the Dodgers. Well, and you mentioned adrenaline. Game one, I think back to 2010, that's what started the last postseason run. I remember being at, at that game one when Lincecum struck out 14, one hit allowed to the Braves. It was an unbelievable game. 
game one just feels different. For everything you're talking about, it's the hype. It's sort of taking the lid off the postseason for now it's just one of these teams. It's the Dodgers have already played. I, I assume they'll carry a little bit of momentum into this game, though they'll have the hype too. But when you try to settle down, when you think back to, to your first playoff start against the Marlins in 97, you got a young guy right now in Logan Webb who's going to take the ball under the same circumstances. He talked about having adrenaline and having to calm down uh, in game 162. What's that like? How do you harness adrenaline when you're trying to locate a fastball or locate a breaking ball or a sinker like Logan Webb has to? Some guys are wired just a little bit different. I mean, it really comes down to that. And It's funny because that day at Sunday when Logan Webb had to pitch the game of his life to try to lock down a division, you can't have any more pressure. You know, 162, you're relying on really your starting pitcher to set the tone. And, you know, this is his first full 162-game season. I ran into his mom and his grandma getting a coffee before the game <laughs> on Sunday. And I started to, I talked to his mom. I said, man, this is a tough spot for the kid, a lot of pressure. She's like, you know what? As far back as I can remember, and obviously this is a much bigger game today than he's ever pitched in in his life, but the bigger the game, and he was a football player in high school as well, quarterback. She said the bigger the game he played, the more pressure that mounted, the better he did. So some guys just are able to do that. They relish those moments. They look forward to them. They thrive on the extra adrenaline. They love that the feeling of pitching in a big game, and they want the ball. And I would say, you know, more often than not, you don't want the ball, right? There's guys that the moment may be a little bit too big for them. They can't control the adrenaline. They overthrow. They can't slow the game down. And then all of a sudden the game gets away from you before you even know it. But he went out that first inning. And he dominated. I believe he struck out the side. So that's a pretty good way to set the tone in game 162 and try, trying to win a division. So I expect uh, a lot of the same. He'll go out there with a lot of confidence. He's pitched meaningful games down the stretch because every game mattered for this giant team. So he's battle-tested. And I don't think that he's going to be phased one bit. He can't wait to get that ball. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. I was thinking about how cool it is uh, that Buster Posey will be behind the plate. Think about how many guys Buster Posey has caught in their first big league starts. Or, their, excuse me, not just big league, but their first playoff starts, right? You're going back to Madison Bumgarner. You go back to probably Jonathan Sanchez, Tim Lincecum, Matt Cain. Virtually every guy who was a part of that postseason roster that was homegrown by the Giants threw to Buster Posey in their first postseason start. This is not new for him. He, he's going to be back there, and that's got to be some level of confidence. I don't know, who who did you throw to in, in your first postseason start, and, and how big of a deal is that for, for a guy making his first? Well, put it this way, when you have Buster back there, no matter what start it is, you, you feel a sense of calm just because if you're ever in doubt on what pitch you want to throw, you're going to just trust Buster. And that, 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 that's really what it comes down to because, you know, he's been in those situations. He reads swings really well. He, he's very prepared going into a series against the opposing lineup. He knows how to pitch certain guys. So, you know, he's a guy that you definitely don't worry about what fingers he's putting down. Now, if you're convicted to throw another pitch and he throws a, pit, a sign down, you know, maybe wasn't your first choice, you should stick with what you're convicted to throw. But if I always feel like if there's a pitch that you're not sure about, and I say it probably happens about 50 to 60% of the time in a game where you go with one of two pitches and you're going to rely on your catcher. And if you don't have that trust in your catcher, it makes it a pretty lonely feeling out there when you're relying all by yourself because you're the only one you have to blame at that point, right? Yeah. At least you have that fallback, right, where if a catcher throws a sign down, you're second-guessing yourself, and then you're like, all right, it's Buster. I'm going to trust this. I'm going to have conviction in it, and typically it works out for you. But there definitely is that sense of calm. I can't remember who I pitched to in 1997. 
If I had to guess, it probably was. I don't know. I, it was a revolving door with the catching situation. The whole time I was on the Giants, it was a different guy every year. I want to say maybe it was Rick Wilkins. You know, it could have been Brian Johnson. I think it was Johnson. I'm looking right now. It looks like it was Brian Johnson was your catcher. He had a good day, too. He had a, he had a knock that day, catching you that day. One for three. Yeah, a couple of runs scored. Oh, so it was BJ. Okay. So, yeah, you know, a lot of times this isn't the first time the guy catches you when it comes to playoffs. That would be the, the worst joke you can play on a starting pitcher. Is like, <laughs> okay, we're going to throw a guy behind the dish that, that's never caught you before. You know, you've had some experience with that guy before. You've had some success more than likely with that guy before usually have a pretty good rapport with that guy. So you feel pretty confident, you know, in your battery mate when you take the mound, you know, in a playoff situation. But I don't think you can be any more confident when you than, than when Buster's behind the plate. Let me ask you about this, because you're seeing a team that's in division here. I mean, this is a team you saw 19 times. There are no secrets. You can't really hide anything from anybody. You can't come out with a totally different strategy. Or It's not like football where you can drop a bunch of plays or come out with a different look than somebody's seen before, right? Uh, Logan Webb goes now. He made four, uh, three starts in the regular season against the Dodgers. He went 1-0, a .68 whip against the Dodgers. Really good. Seventh start of the season for Walker Bueller against the Giants on Friday night. He'd been dominant, 3-1. and one. He actually lost his last start back on September 5th. What's the approach in a game like this from a pitching standpoint in facing a lineup that you have seen so many times? Because, again, you're not going to show them something they haven't seen before. No, you're not. But I always say good pitching and execution will beat good hitting any day or, or a guy that if has had success against you. If you execute your pitches and you're aggressive and you get in favorable you know, counts as a pitcher, you, you have the upper hand. So I like the fact that the way that Logan Webb's been attacking the strike zone, no matter who he's facing, where he's going out from the first pitch and he's saying, here, hit this, you know, here's my best stuff. And he trusts that it's better than what you have to offer in, in the box. And that's a good feeling to have. That's a very confident feeling to have as a starting pitcher where you know your stuff's better than anybody that can they can throw up there. As long as you throw the pitch where you want to throw it, and he relies a lot on his movement. Every pitch he throws has a ton of movement. Some of the pitches he throws looks like he's throwing a wiffle ball up there with right. the amount of sink he gets on his fastball from the amount of slide that he gets on his breaking ball. The changeup comes right out of the same grip as the fastball, about 10 miles an hour less, 5 miles an hour less. doesn't really matter. He sells it with arm speed. He feels if he keeps the ball down with movement, he can get anybody out. So that's his mentality. So it doesn't matter how many times he's faced them how many times they've seen him, he feels that he has the upper hand because he's got the stuff and he's not going to run from you. And that's what the Dodgers feast themselves on. They feast on guys that nibble. They feast on guys that try to pitch away from contact where they get in favorable hitter counts. They become so much better. A lot of teams do, but they do in particular. They grind at bats out. They foul off good pitchers' pitches. But the guys they all have trouble with are guys that are aggressive, that attack them with good stuff, make them put the ball in play with weak contact. And that's kind of Logan Webb's expertise right there. You know, keep the ball on the ground with good stuff and uh, let his defense do the work. And every once in a while, he'll throw, he'll strike you out if he has to. Everything you're saying applies to Walker Bueller too, right? They come in with sort of the same plan. He's seen him just as many times. And the, he knows the Giants got him his last time around. Yeah, he got knocked up for 
for six rounds or knocked around for six runs, I should say, in his last start on September 5th. Hey, on the way out, Sean, predictions are always kind of ridiculous to me in baseball. You just never know what's going to happen or who gets a hold of one or which playoff star kind of comes out of nowhere and, and ignites a team or ignites a lineup. It feels to me like the baseball universe is going to have this thing go five. What's your feeling, just general feeling going into this series? I mean, it's two really evenly matched teams, 107 wins for each if you count the wild card game coming in. They went 10-9, and 9-10 and 10 against each other this year. It just sort of feels like even after five games, we may not really know who the better team was. Whoever scores the most runs in game five will be the best team, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I think it goes five games. I think it comes down to the bottom of the ninth. It'll be at Oracle because game five will be home. And uh, Lamont Wade Jr. will come up against Kenley Jansen and, or, or one of the other relievers, depending on the situation. And he's going to get the game-winning hit. And they're going to walk him off. How much drama would that be? That, that, would be? that would be perfect. If I could script it out, that's exactly how I would do it. Game five. Bottom of the ninth, Lamont Wade Jr., Lanite, late night Lamont, late inning Lamont, whatever you want to call him, uh, and he gets the big hit. And then we all just forget about Travis Ishikawa. Then he's just a footnote, right? Then it's like a it's a whole other wave of, of Giants walk-offs. <laughs> we'll never Anderson. forget. Well, yeah, we'll never forget Ishikawa and those big moments that these guys had, you know, when they were on their run to the World Series. But, yeah, Lamont Wade Jr. in the bottom of the ninth, game five in 2021, that'll go down in history as well especially if they can take it to the house from there, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe hit it to the same spot. So, hey, I appreciate the time today, Sean. going to be a lot of fun, man. I've got the anxiety. This calmed me down a little bit. I'm confident in Logan Webb and Kevin Gossman on, <laughs> on Saturday night. We'll catch up with you later, man. Okay. All right, Cubs. Thanks. All right, great stuff from Sean Estes. Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever forget Travis Ishikawa, but how about the specificity of how the Giants will win this one? Bottom of the ninth, uh, Kenley Jansen comes in for a save, maybe a tie game, and Lamont Wade, late night Lamont. Would there be any more perfect way to end this series than for Lamont Wade to walk it off in the ninth or the tenth or the eleventh or the twelfth or however long it takes to get him into the LCS? Anyway, game one Friday, game two Saturday, game three Monday night from LA, game two on Tuesday, and if a game five is necessary next Thursday, Thursday from Oracle Park. It all gets going tonight. 637 first pitch. Logan Webb against Walker Bueller. Thank you to Sean Estes. Thank you to my producer, Brian. And thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening to us. I don't know that we can focus on anything else besides Giants and Dodgers for the next week or so. We will try to give us a little bit of a reprieve. We'll pull off a little bit from baseball on Monday. We'll talk a little San Jose Sharks hockey with my good friend, Ted Ramey. You know him. You love him. Voice of the San Jose Earthquakes. Also does a lot of stuff for the San Jose Sharks. So we'll talk to him on Monday about the start of the Sharks season. Also a little drama off the ice going on with the Teal. All things we can talk about with Ted Ramey next week, but everybody enjoy Giants and Dodgers this weekend. Enjoy 49er football on Sunday. We'll talk to you next week.